Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Mariners Talk Podcast, powered by SotoMojo.com. I am your host, Mike, and uh, it is a great to be back after taking a little bit of time off. Taking possibly, I believe, what was it? I think it might have been maybe, maybe, um, maybe a week and a half, two weeks. Not sure. Well, anyway, we are back on the air, and we are going to be having a guest tonight. We're going to have uh, Matt Carlson. Um, call in in a little bit. Hopefully he makes it in time. He's just a little running just a just a little bit late, but still we uh we're going to have him on the show later tonight. Um so getting on to what we will be covering tonight. Of course, we always start out with, you know, the current topics for the Mariners, you know, and uh while we were gone uh or sea talk and te- or excuse me, uh Mariners talk uh, took a break. We uh there was a lot of uh there was a big deal for the Mariners being made. Of course, uh, the Mariners traded away pitcher Brandon Maurer for uh, outfielder Seth Smith from to the Padres. And that was a big deal that everyone wanted to see. I myself really did want to see that as well. And I, I really do have to give uh, Jack Sorensic credit on that. And because, you know, that that was a trade that the Mariners seriously did need to make. Um. Sorry. Also, the Mariners. Um, uh, let's go ahead and see uh, the transactions that the Mariners have made in the past few di- in the past couple weeks. Or so, but uh, the the roster is all set. The Mariners Fan Fest about to begin. Only just a uh, uh, only just uh, two weeks away. Two weeks away. I will myself will be attending Mariners Fan Fest on Saturday. So very excited for that. Very very excited. And uh, yeah, as uh, looking at the uh, at the roster right here, we do have Seth Smith and of course Justin Rosciano, uh, the two latest trades that the Mariners have made. And it's going to be interesting to see just what Lloyd McClendon is going to do with both of those guys because 
Um, a lot of people are unsure, but most here's the thing: most people are sure of this. Seth Smith is going to be uh, your main your main starting uh, right fielder. Justin Reggiano, he's not going to. But here's the thing: I have seen highlights of Justin Reggiano. He's got a good arm, and he's got a nice he's got a really nice swing. So it is going to be interesting to see what Lloyd McClendon does in the fact or in the topic of you know just uh, I'm trying to think of the word of uh, you know outfield competition between those two. It's going to be very interesting to see that. Um, also, the Mariners. Uh, another interesting uh, battle is uh, the shortstop battle uh, between Chris Taylor and Brad Miller. And uh, um, I think we're going to get into we're, we'll get we'll get a little bit into that, but um, I think it is necessary. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give Matt just a little bit more time um, because I know he I know he is going to uh, show up and uh, uh, help out with the Mariners podcast. So um, sorry about this. But so what I'm gonna ha- what I'm what I'm gonna do is we're gonna go into just a tiny bit, just a little break, and see if I can get a hold of him, uh, because a lot of people, because this thing is gonna be getting kicked off. So um, again, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to, or excuse me, it's not gonna be interesting, but um, we're just gonna give Matt just a little bit more time. So uh, I need to find something to play here, so that way we can actually. Uh, we can actually uh, start this thing. So uh, let me go ahead and find something. And I'm I'm, I'm actually a little sorry about this. It, this was not supposed to happen. It was supposed to be, you know, on time. This was supposed to be, you know, uh, right away. So, uh, again, don't take this as inefficiency. We just we just have a little bit of uh, problems, you know, every now and then. But uh, let's go ahead and find something. To play that way we can uh that way we can uh take just a little bit short break and give uh give Matt just a little time to appear and uh while I'm looking for something it's again i i'm I'm gonna go ahead and say this it's it's very it is gonna be very interesting to see the um the competition between Chris Taylor and Brad Miller, and also Seth Smith and Justin Reggiano, uh, because let me go ahead and pull up Justin Reggiano, and uh, and of course Seth Smith's page, uh, because here's the thing: Seth Smith, when it co- when it comes to Seth Smith and Justin Reggiano, you have to look at two things. Uh, both of them are the same age. Both of them are actually the same age, and a lot of people, I don't think, uh, realize that. But again, you know, both of them are the same age. Justin Reggiano, he's going to turn 33 before Seth Smith does, but that's not the point. But Justin Reggiano has really not really had that much experience as uh, as Seth Smith has. I'm going to go ahead and pull up his Baseball Reference page uh, because uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and take a look at that. We'll we'll kill some, we're going to kill a little time here before Matt gets here. But um, here's the thing: uh, Justin Reggiano, looking at his career, he has played um, 398 games total. His career high is 128, and that was back in 2013 when he played for the Miami Marlins. And with the Marlins, in that time, he hit 18 home runs and drove in 50 RBIs, but had a, I mean, 
horrendous batting average. He had a, uh, a, two, a 222 batting average. And the previous year, he batted 313 for the Marlins. And then, the, and then of course, last year with the, uh, with the Chicago Cubs, he played basically half a game, batted 281, and hit six home runs. This guy has a career uh, batting average of 257, whereas Seth Smith, he's had more games played. He, he definitely has way more games played. He's got 865 under his belt. Um, his career high in home runs came in 2010 when he hit 17 with the with the uh, Colorado Rockies. Um, he does have American League experience. Thank goodness. I, that's the, that's the one thing that I was really really um, worried about was. Um, the uh, is the uh, <laughs> tell me was the uh, uh, American League experience, but he played two seasons with the Oakland Athletics. He batted 240 his first season, 253 his second season. But Smith, Seth Smith has a career batting average of 260, 265, and so that's that's not really I don't I don't really see that as a bad thing. I mean, he does have a better batting average career-wise of of only 9 points better than Justin Reggiano, but it's uh it, it's going to be kind of interesting because it does look like Justin Reggiano has just a little bit more pop in his bat than Seth Smith does. But again, you know, it's it's all going to be determined um it, it it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome of this upcoming season will play for both of these young men because it's a uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because again again I'm just you know uh trying to drag this on just a little bit longer but it, it's it's just very interesting to see Two types of battles this upcoming spring training, one between the shortstops and the other between two outfielders that are battling for a position. And the Mariners are loaded with outfielders. they got Seth Smith, Justin Reggiano, Stefan Romero, Julio Marbon, James Jones, Austin Jackson, Nelson Cruz, who is possibly who is uh, going to be playing DH most of the time, except in interleague play. I do believe that when interleague comes up and when the Mariners have to go to the National League parks, Nelson Cruz is still going to be in that lineup. And also Dustin Ackley. So that is nine outfielders that you have on your roster. And this is the active roster. This is, these guys are on the active roster. So, that, so you basically have to eliminate four of those guys. If not, you have to eliminate five because I don't really see the point of having an – well. I do see the point of having five outfielders, you know, just in case of injuries, but four outfielders is the top in my opinion. And here's who I believe um, will be the opening day um, outfielders. But I do believe that the Mariners will have five outfielders. Um, It will be Ackley, Cruz, Jackson, Rizziano, and Seth Smith. But I believe that Seth Smith will get the starting job over Justin Rizziano. Only because... The Mariners, and, and I do believe that Jack Sorenzo, he has tremendous faith in Seth Smith. But again, Justin Reggiano, the, both Justin Reggiano and Seth Smith, they, um, they've they've got they've got the stats to put up and to you know help this Mariners team out, and they do have some speed. 
they have a little bit of speed, I believe. And, you know, it's, it, again, I know I just keep repeating myself, but it is just going to be very, very interesting to watch this, um, just to watch these guys play. And I'm uh, I'm just excited for this upcoming season for the Mariners, and especially with these two guys. And uh, so we are going to go ahead and take a uh, just a little bit, of, uh, a quick short break. Uh, we will be right back because I will give Matt just a tiny bit more time before I go ahead and start this without me. So uh, we'll take a quick short break and we'll be right back. back here on Mariners Talk. Uh, Matt, again, is just uh, running late. Uh, Not sure when he will be here, but until then, I will be filling in, you know, doing all the the heavy lifting. Uh, Sorry, Matt, to put you under the bus. But um, getting back to what I was talking about, it was the uh, the trade between, uh, the competition between outfielders and the shortstops, this upcoming spring training for the Seattle Mariners. Um, What I think may happen is that um because here's the thing here's the thing if anybody said if anybody says again um that the mayors are going to make brad fielder an outfielder i swear to god i'm going to go friggin nuts because they're not going to do that they're not going to make brad miller an outfielder 
I don't care what you say. I don't care who says it. I don't even care if it, if a baseball tonight expert says it. The Mariners are not going to make Miller an outfielder. It's just not going to happen. And I don't th- and I don't know why people are getting that into their head. Because here's the thing. Um if um if if Brad Miller does become an outfielder, I, I just don't see it. I just can't see it. Because it's, I don't know, it, to me, Brad Miller, he, he's he got a good arm. He does have a good arm, but I just don't trust him out there because of how many errors he made last season. He made a ton of errors last season. And it's, that it's 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 just that that makes me skeptical of if the Mariners do make him a outfielder because I just I don't know just just imagine this just picture this game four of the American League Division Series we're uh, I, I'm I know this is just a crazy. Uh, Scenario, but game four of the American League Division Series, Mariners are down, or, or excuse me, yeah, game four of the American League Division Series, we are down in the series two games to none, or two games to one, excuse me, and bases loaded, two outs, you know, and there's a blooper into wherever Brad Miller is playing, and he plays it on a hop, and he plays it on a hop, and the ball just skips past him. Like they have done, like what has happened so many times this past this past year with him. That means that at least two runners are going to score, if not three. And again, it's not something that I want to see because it again it worries the hell out of me of what may happen. It's not a matter of. You know, hey, maybe they will train him, and you know, maybe he'll get better in the in the spring training. No, listen, they can you can do all the tra- you can do all the practicing you need. It's not going to change my mind because of wh- of how he performed last season in the infield at shortstop has made me very skeptical of Brad Miller's fielding ability. And. I I I I don't know. It's just I can't even find the words right now because it's it confuses me of how that even got started. Of how that rumor about the Mariners making Brad Miller or may turn Brad Miller into an outfielder got started. It really does baffle me because again you just have to look at what he did last year to wonder to wonder who got that that rumor started getting back to uh, my discussion about uh, the other guy uh, uh, or excuse me the uh, the other situation with the mariners it's the outfield situation with Seth Smith and Justin Reggiano and I was just talking about this but 
I really see Seth Smith more as your opening day starter with the um, I want to say I just want to say I just don't think Justin Ruggiero may make the cut to become our opening day starter in right field because it's Lloyd McClendon has got to make a very let's 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 go ahead and put another scenario in here okay let's let's just put this out put a scenario out there really quick picture this that Seth Smith and Justin Reggiano both of them have very poor spring trainings okay just picture that now again spring training stats it doesn't matter to, to be truly honest because look at what Brad Miller did last year I am putting him back up there and look at what we did in the regular season so picture this both Seth Smith and Justin Reggiano have a tough spring training where both of them hit around 220, maybe just stay above the Mendoza line. So here's the situation. Lloyd McClendon's got a tough decision to make. Who do I make as the opening day starter out in right field for my team? And I know he's going to be thinking this. I have perhaps one of the toughest decisions to make right here because the decision I make but whoever I choose out in right field could either break or make this team right now, to be truly honest. That, that That's my honest opinion. Now, here's who I see as your, um, as your, uh, excuse me, as, um, uh, as our, as our, as our opening day starters. Of course, you're going to have, um, Mike Zanino behind the plate with Felix Hernandez, so there's no doubter. I see Chris Taylor right there at shortstop. I do. Logan Morrison, he's going to be right there at first base. Kyle Seager is your opening day uh, third, third baseman. Robinson Cano is your opening day second baseman. DH, Nelson Cruz. Out in left field, you got Dustin Ackley. Ackley with that beard, and he's ma- he makes some amazing catches this upcoming season. I know it. Because you saw what he did again. Because you saw what he did against the. Um, against the Mets. You saw that amazing basket catch that he made out there in left field. So, again, there's there's your other right other outfielder. Center field is Austin Jackson. He's And here's the thing. I think Austin Jackson's going to even have going to have a way better year. Yes, he got yes, he had a got, not a good start with us last year, but I do think he is going to improve. And finally in right field, you have Seth Smith. That's my opening day starters. Those are all my opening day starters. And on the bench, you're going to have Willie Bloomquist, Brad Miller, Justin Reggiano, and Jesus Sucre. Those are your four guys that you will have on the bench. If not also Justin Reggiano, you'll have James Jones, just in case if he wants, if Lloyd McLennan wants to have that extra outfielder, because we all know that Nelson Cruz is going to be a designated hitter all through this season, except when it comes to playing in the interleague and going or playing an interleague game at a National League ballpark where the designated hitter is off uh, off the lineup. So, again, here, so looking at what I just said, you have Justin Reggiano and James Jones on the bench, and Willie Bloomquist. Those are three guys that can give you some speed out there. And here's the thing, and, and and maybe some of you are saying, what are you talking about with Willie Bloomquist with speed? The man's almost, the man's nearly 40 years old, 
Okay, he may be almost 40 years old, but guess what? The man can run, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting his age out there, okay? Not putting his age out there. No, it, it wouldn't matter if this guy was 45. The man can still run. And if you don't believe me, go look at some of the highlights, uh, some highlights of Willie Bloomquist last season and tell me that man cannot run, okay? It was a real shame when he went down with that injury because I was, I was devastated because that was a speedster that we really lost and we really could have needed. Now, getting back to Judge, uh, Reggiano, um, let me go ahead and pull up his baseball reference page again. I forgot to... Uh, Keep it open. But um, looking at Justin Reggiano's page, by the way, I want to welcome in our two guests who are listening right now. Uh, thanks for joining us here at Mariner's Talk Powered by Soto Mojo. Uh, looking at his stolen bases, uh, Justin Reggiano is 34 out of 55. So... We know the guy, so we can tell that the guy can run, but he does get caught. He gets caught a lot of times. And so now you got to you got to think, you know, you know, who else am I going to put out there for a pinch runner? Well, James Jones, because that because James Jones, let's just face it, the guy can flat out run. That man is that kid has got amazing speed. And then, of course, on the bench, you also have Jesus Sucre. Just in case we go into extras and we need, you know, to give Mike Zanino some time off and we uh, put in a pinch runner for him. So we have him. So there's your four guys that are on the bench for the Mariners. But again, getting into, you know, just your opening day starters. Again, I do believe, thoroughly believe, that Seth Smith is your opening day right fielder. I hardly believe it because I, I just, the, 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 I don't know. The, you know, why would we trade for Seth Smith if, you know, we got Justin Reggiano? You know? So that's why I do believe that Seth Smith is going to be your starting right fielder on opening day. There's a no doubter in my mind. And here's the thing. I'm going to also put out my uh, opening day uh, prediction. Mariners are going to win it easily. And I know it because you're going to have Felix Hernandez on the on the mound. You're going to have Nelson Cruz, uh, Robinson Cano, Kyle Seeger, Logan Morrison. Those guys in the lineup. Those guys provide power. And this team is coming off the best season since 2009. This team is coming. This team is coming into a season where last season. They came within one game, one game of getting into the postseason for the first time since 2001. And here's the thing. The Mariners are predicted at a 10-to-1 odds to win the World Series. And here's the thing. I thoroughly believe that this Mariners team is going to win it all. I just I don't know. I don't know how I know that. I just know that they are going to do it. There's no doubt in my mind that the Mariners are going to win it all. All right, so uh, we are going to take a short break.
And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and get into the uh, Soto Mojo off-current topic, and we will be just and we're going to be discussing a little bit of the Mariners' history about the ups and high, ups and lows, uh, you know, the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we will take a quick short break, and uh, we'll be right back.
And welcome back to Mariner's Talk. Sorry about that. It was a little longer break than what we had usually. But uh, just got a little confirmation uh, from uh, Matt that he will be joining us in a little bit. So we're just going to give him a little little time because he just messaged me on uh, on uh, Twitter. So he should be here in just a little bit, hopefully. <laughs> So anyway, so we are going to get into, uh, uh, this is our off-current topic, and uh, we are going to be discussing a little bit of Mariner's history, the ups and downs, and, you know, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then we're also going to, and, you know, we're going to be going a little bit into history. We're not going to be going too long, maybe just about an hour, maybe a little hour, 20 minutes tops. So uh, we are going to be getting into that. And basically, um, what we what we're going to be talking about is just you know what were basically you know the highest points or excuse me the 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 lowest points in Mariners baseball history, and of course you know talk about some of the most horrendous things that have happened to this franchise, and then along get get into the uh, the positives of this uh, of or you know the really good things that have happened to this club. Such as uh, the nineteen, uh, the refused to lose uh, a run in 1995, and of course the 100 and um, it's uh, and hang on a second, uh, really quick. I'm sorry about this. Uh, we uh, we uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry about this. Sorry, I, I, I am really sorry about this. We. Um, Having a little bit of difficult issues with Matt getting through. He's just having a little trouble getting through um, with the pin number and everything. So uh, hopefully we can um, uh, we can actually get he can actually get in in just a sec. But um, and yeah, so he is about to be in, and I'll wait until uh, he pops up, and hopefully it's uh, within a couple seconds. But uh, again, you know, like th- this is something that I have been meaning to talk about because I just read uh, uh, a Mariners book called uh, "The Tales from the Seattle Mariners Dugout," and it features and it's uh, by um, it's actually by um, let me go ahead and see the author really quick. Um, it's by Kirby Allen, and it says a collection of the greatest Mariner stories ever told. So, uh, so that is was an interesting read and it was very interesting to see his point of view from the Mariners you know it just because he basically the guy that was telling the story has been around since day one and it was it was the fact that um you know, we we just um, I'm just getting really confused. I'm like mixing up my words for some reason. But um, it uh, it's it's just interesting to see a, a someone write a story about the Mariners and talk about their history that's not in a critical or or negative way that is really showing 
you know, an ugly side to, you know, talking about the Mariners because I read a book called Shipwrecked and it was, um, I think it was by Art Thiel. I think he writes for the Seattle Times and really he had a very negative outlook on the Mariners and all he could do was just really bash the Mariners and the front office. And here's the thing. I don't mind that he bashed the front office because the front office, to me, has been responsible responsible for the Mariners not, you know, becoming a winning ball club. And for some reason it is taking Matt just a little bit time to get in. So, uh, just again, we're just killing a little time. Uh, I am very sorry for those listening, um, for having to listen to me, you know, drag drag this on. But um, I don't. I it's it's it does take two people. It really does take two people to to really um, you know talk about the Mariners' history because excuse me, it uh, it's just an interesting topic because. You can't. I don't know. It's it, you just cannot talk Mariners history alone. You can't describe it alone. You have to have two people because it takes two to talk about a passion, and that's what the Mariners are to me and Matt. They're a passion. They're a first love, really, because the first thing, the first sports scene that I fell in love with were the Mariners, and I did post something. Um, about that on Sotomoji, you can go ahead and read that and uh, check with uh, check with Matt see if he's still having some trouble get in there because it should have been in by now. But um, we'll uh, giving him some time. But uh, again, you know, it it does take two people to talk about. Uh, a team like we do because, again, it is a passion. It is, you know, it's something that we treasure. Because the Mariners, last year the Mariners brought a lot of joy, and I mean a, a lot of joy, to the fans again. It was so exciting to see um, what we call, you know, uh, baseball with with importance. Seattle Mariners... Um, uh, the Seattle Mariners, you know, it's it's just interesting to watch them of how they played last year. And uh, we are going to we're going to take a quick short break because I do need to talk to Matt really quick, and uh, we'll. Uh, sorry about this. We need to uh, find something. Let's go ahead and find something to put on here. Um, and uh, we'll. Again, we will, so we're going to go into one more break. We're going to get into a quick break real quick, so we'll be right back.
And we are back here on Mariners Talk. Uh, Matt is just having some very difficult times getting on here. Um, we're going to try and get him on um, as fast as we can. I, I do want to apologize for this. This is having we are having some problems. So I really do want to apologize for the difficulties that we are having. And it's I don't know. It's uh, it's very it's very difficult that we do have these problems because um, the fact of the matter is is that we have had these type of problems before and it's not really because of it's not it's not really uh because of anything else but um uh, Matt is here uh, let me go ahead and unmute him really quick and unmute there we go and hey Matt how are we doing tonight I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks so much uh, for having me tonight. I, I want to apologize to, uh, to you and all my listeners, all, all the listeners for coming in late, but uh, still having me in. Oh, no problem, man. I mean, again, I mean, it is. I was able to hold down the fort for you for a little bit, but uh, we are in Soto Mojo's uh, off-current topic, and today, and this week, what we're talking about is getting into the Mariners' history because uh, I just recently read a book called Tales from the Seattle Mariners Dugout, um, a collection of the greatest. Mariner stories ever told. I don't know if you've read that book. I, I haven't, but I've seen it on the uh, the shelf, and I've, re- I've really wanted to take a look at it. It's worth a read. It is very, really worth a read, and it, and the reason why I like it is because I just said that um, it it gives a perspective from someone who does not constantly bash the front office or the team. Because if you've read the book Shipwrecked, um, I, I, I have not. You have. But- Okay, I, I not unfortunately, but but I, I've heard uh, some reviews, some things about it. Yeah, um, Art Thiel, I believe, he wrote the book, and I'm not a fan of Art Thiel, but all he had to say was he just constantly bashed, um, really, the team and the front office and blamed them for the Mariners not succeeding. But I do understand, you know, blaming the front office because they did have a, something to do with the team. But um, getting into, like, the first little bit of the Seattle Mariners um, – First off, you know, the Mariners, they started out in 1977, and and here's the thing. Everyone was really excited for this, uh, you know, team back in Seattle. I believe over um, 52 – let me go ahead and look it up. Uh, let me go ahead and look that up because I, I did uh, see it, but um, um, let's go ahead and see. Uh yeah. yeah, of course, the uh, the Mariners, the culmination of sort of a, a movement to bring a team to Seattle after the pilots left in 1969 uh, when Bud Selig uh, took them from spring training in Arizona, took a, took a, a right instead of a left, and took them to Milwaukee. Uh, but, yeah, um, but yeah and uh, I, I just found it, but uh, uh, 57,762 fans packed the kingdom on April 6, 1977, and even though that it was not the – and and here's the bad part. It, it, it did not get the results that they wanted in that first game. They lost seven to nothing. And after that, after that game, um, fans did not turn out. They didn't turn out. They didn't come out because, you know, I think what they did was they they looked at this team and they said, oh, this is the team that we wanted here in Seattle. Okay, we're not going to turn out anymore because um, let me go ahead and pull that up really quick because. And here it is. Here's the 1977 one. Uh, the schedules and the results. Let's go ahead and look at that. And it wasn't good in those early years, Mike. It was, it was not good. 
Uh, no, no, and 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 here's the th- and and here here we go. So get this, all right. So we went from having fifty-seven thousand plus in the seats, and in that remaining, that and, and here's the thing. This is a this was a weird schedule. The Mariners started off their season with a five-game series against the Angels, and in that five games, saw after the fifty-seven thousand plus, they saw ten thousand plus, eleven thousand plus. 27,000 plus, 10,000 plus, and in the final game, a little over 8,979 uh, 8, people turned out. Yeah, geez, that's, that's like Oakland almost a little bit, uh, some of those years, some of the paltry attendance they had. But we were often criticized sort of in the early days, uh, you know, the fans for being a little, you know, unstable. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with uh, sort of Gaylord Perry's perfect game in that? Yes. I, uh, wait, wait. Uh, you, uh, you mean it's 300? I'm sorry. 300th win. It's 300th win. I'm sorry. Yes. The 300th, 300th win. The 300th win, they did not have a lot of people turn out, but then the following night they had a lot of people turn out, and it was only because of bat night. Yeah. Or it was, it was, was it Goofy Glasses night or something? Or, or, that, uh, came, that came the next the following night. That's right. The following night, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just sort of the people were wondering if fans were going to be serious about baseball in Seattle. I feel like, you know, we hit a low in the two, mid-2000s, and, and even for a little bit of this year, but we finished strong over this, the end of this year uh, with, with attendance, I think. Oh, definitely, yeah. But let's go ahead and look at the first um, seven seasons for the Mariners. First seven seasons, we had a 64-win season. Following season, we lost 104 games. Two seasons later, 103 games, and then two seasons after that, 102, 102 games. So, the Mariners started off their franchise career seven seasons, and in those seven seasons, you saw the Mariners lose a hundred games three times. Now, yeah. and and here's the bad part: the Mariners, ever since then, they've only lost a hundred games twice, and that was in 2008 and 2010. Yeah, so but, recently. So yeah. Yes, most recently, and you know, but the Mariners, they didn't really seem to to really culminate uh, the interest of fans during that time because they they just did not have a lot of people turn out because they're like, you know, hey, this is not something that we're that we want to see. We don't want to see a team, you know, lose a, over 100 games in a season or come close to losing 100 games in a season and we just don't want to pay. And I di- I just could not blame them. I couldn't blame them. I would not want to yeah. go to Bears play, but yeah. I would watch them. Now, now, Mike. One of the one of the things, and it involves a, a Mariner that we really don't. I don't think we give enough respect to. Uh, you know, Mariners puddled along for a few seasons, and then this uh, this young player named Alvin Davis came along, and he became the first sort of superstar that the Mariners have ever had in their organization, and he brought fans in, and uh, you know, he won the 1984 American League Rookie of the Year, and uh, you know, two-time All-Star, three-time Gold or and then we had uh, Harold Reynolds as well. And those two sort of, you know, boosted, although they were still losing teams. Uh, you know, they gave fans something to come to the park for. Yeah, and, and I was actually going to get on that. But before that, I wanted to uh, first get on this. Um, after uh, Daryl Johnson was fired um, uh, for, for the Mariners, uh, we did see someone uh, come in and – here's the thing. This was perhaps the worst manager we've ever had. And it was a guy 
a former Dodgers named Murray Wills. Murray Wills, yep. And, and, and here's the thing. This guy was perhaps one of the worst managers I've ever seen because or, or, or have ever read about because, you know, you read about him, he did not know what to call. He didn't. He even came out one time and, you know, he pinched hit a left-handed bat against a left-handed pitcher. And yeah, yeah, Mar Wills was not. It those were not very. It was that, that probably, arguably, I know we've had some pretty bad managers in the early two thousands, but uh, he's probably the worst manager in in franchise history. Yeah, and um, um, getting on to what you said, it was up until nineteen eighty four that the Mariners really started to show that they were culminating some talent. They were getting in some talent because here's the thing, but but here's the thing, you know, you mentioned Alvin Davis, I'll get on him in a second, but the mid-80s saw a lot of, you know, young quality stars, um, but some of them did not stay here that long. And um, let's go ahead and name a couple of those off. Uh, Dave Henderson, you know, the Mariners, yeah. picked, the Mariners picked him up. Sorry? Yeah, Hendu, yes. Yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, the Mariners, they they selected him, and he played from us from 1982 to 1986, and then we traded him away and get Spike, and, and we traded him and a guy named Spike Owen, who was uh-huh. a, a really talented shortstop, and we figure, oh, we're going to get something out of this, and we get Ray Cuones, I believe that's his name. Yeah. And... Ray Cuonis turned out to be perhaps the – oh, my gosh. Uh, this is actually hard to say because we've had uh, really – but we've had some really bad shortstops. But I think he is perhaps the, one of the worst yeah. shortstops we've ever had in Mariners history. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, uh, Mike, another name to bring up, too, uh, Tom Pasiorek. Uh Yeah, Tom Pasiorek. Yeah, came to Seattle, had batting averages of 299, 287, 273, and then 326 in 1981. Uh, and then uh, let him go, and he, he went to Chicago and just kept on doing what he did, hitting 300 and being a decent player. Yeah, and uh, let's point out this. Uh, from 1984 to 1986, um, some guy named Danny Tar- Tarable, Tarable played for us, but when he left us, he just went he just went eight crap. He just lit up with Royals. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, what was the player's name again? Uh, Danny T- T- uh, Tartable. Or Tartable. Tartable. Tartable? Yes. Yeah, Danny Tartable. Oh, yeah, you're not kidding. He really did. Wow. Uh, yeah. And ended up playing with um, the Yankees and, oh, man, he went off. Yeah, like yeah. I said, when, when Kansas City, you know, led the league in slugging, finished 12th in the MVP voting, uh, you know, 100 RBI a year type of guy, and uh, we just let him walk away. Yeah, we did. Now, I'm not going to get on any other guys, but, you know, let's go ahead and look at some of the guys that we had in the 1980s that if this Mariners team was able to put together, you know, some decent pitching, because we did have some pitchers, like, of course, Mark Langston, who – uh, finished second in the 1984 American League Rookie of the Year next to his teammate Alvin Davis. And, you know, we've also had uh, Matt Young, 
We had Mike Morgan, Mike Moore, um, Phil Bradley, J- Jim Presley, Dave yeah, Dallas, Harold Reynolds. I mean, we had a lot of talented guys on this team, and for so- but for some reason, you know, this team just could not really. They just they they could not get anything going because it seemed that whenever they would get a lead in a game, they would always flaunter that and lose focus and just blow, yeah. the, blow the lead. Yeah, and, and besides Davis too, there really were no other. You know, nowadays we have six sort of faces of the team. We have Felix more most outstanding, Cano, uh, you know, Seeger. But back at, back in the '80s, it was really just Alvin Davis and, to a point, Mark Langston. The other players were on. You wouldn't know if they'd be, uh, you know, playing in a game the next day. They might be shipped off to some other team, or who knows. But so it was really Davis and Langston. Uh, were your sort of pitcher of the '80s and uh, your position player of the, of the '80s. Yeah, definitely. But. Things did not really look good for the Mariners because even though in the mid-80s, it, it was really 1984 that the Mariners um, started to show signs that they may be improving because in two seasons in a in three out of the four first seasons after 1983, they won over 70 games. They came close to a winning uh, season in 1987. And they finished dead last, but here's the thing. In 1987... Or excuse me, in 1986, a 67 and 95 record put in motion perhaps of the greatest draft pick that the Mariners have ever had in Ken Griffey Jr. But here's the thing, and here's the thing: um, I was reading the book, and the Mariners came very close. I mean, very close to not drafting Griffey. Yeah, oh, that's that's sort of one of the we we might not have had our franchise. Um, we definitely would have had our franchise if we hadn't drafted Griffey. Uh, I'm curious to know a little more about this, Mike. Uh, yeah, and and I'm reading, and it said that uh, uh, the team owner at the time, George Argeros, uh, perhaps one of one of the worst uh, team yeah. owners that we've ever had. He said that he wanted to um, pick up a high, highly a highly regarded shortstop named Patrick Lennon, and I'm going to go ahead and look at him up really quick, and instead of Ken Griffey Jr. And, but the, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find his name. Where the heck is he? Uh, um, let's see. It was, oh my goodness. What the heck was his name? Trying to find his name really quick. I can't find his first name. Um, Roger, uh, John. You think in, uh, 1989 MLB draft? No, no, no. It was a, it was a 1987 one. Oh, 1987. Yeah, in Ron. 89, in 89, it was Ro- Roger Solkeld. But uh, let's see, 87. Let me. Magic wonder computers these days. Yeah. So anyway, so so the uh, the Mariners uh, scout or a trainer at the time or scouting scouting guy, uh, uh, John Ward. John Ward. That's I believe was his name. Um, decided to. Say, um, or here's the thing. Um, Argios also wanted a guy named Mike Hartke, and I'm gonna go ahead and look him up. And yeah, Mike Hartke drafted ended up being drafted by the Cubs fourth overall. Uh, he was a right-handed pitcher. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and 
and here's the thing, and he actually became a world champion back in 2009 uh, with the New York Yankees as a coach, but he did not really do anything for his career. But um, No, not not at all, Mike. He uh, finished with a 36-36 record, a 4-4-9 ERA. So really not, really not that spectacular at all. Pitched for five teams. Yeah, and but here's the thing. Here's here's something a little ironic. Um, the Mariners did pass up on Patrick Lennon, but he actually did play for the Mariners because they actually did select him in the first round of the 1986. Uh, oh wait, so they did. So they selected him, but oh, it was Mike Harkey that they uh, uh, that they wanted instead of Griffey. But John Jawar yeah. told Argeros said he cannot do that. He said, "quote I can't do that, George. This Griffey." is a special guy. And they were looking at him, they were making him take IQ tests and Griffey always got nervous, but John Jaworski, he always knew that Griffey would, you know, skim through it and just give up on it, but he never gave up on it. He said one of these days or one of the days he actually said, you know, you're going to do this test no matter how it's no matter how long it takes you, you're going to do it, but you're going to be in a room by yourself. And he took breaks and everything, but Griffey got it done. And he passed, and they did, and they did select him. So it was, thank God that um, George Juan did convince Arduros to draft Ken Griffey Jr. Because if they would not have drafted him, I don't know what this team, I don't know what might have happened to this team. Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what, Mike. Uh, you know, we might have the Tampa Bay Mariners or something like that. They would. I, they, I don't think they'd be in Seattle. That's just how important Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, is to this organization. Yeah, definitely. Or was to this organization. And then, of course, um, but um, during the two years that Ken Griffey Jr. did not play for us, the Mariners actually got um, two future stars in Edgar Martinez and Jay Buhner through the draft. And um, I'm going to look up this clip really quick um, because I don't think anybody – it's just something that, you know, I can never get tired of. Um, I just cannot get tired of of listening to. Uh-huh. And uh, here we go. This is the clip. Of course, everybody remembers this if anybody watches the show Seinfeld. And of course, Ken, and of course, Ken <laughs> did not do that much. Yeah. But again, you know, we did get those two guys, and in 1989, Griffey made his uh, debut. Mares went 73 and 89. But here's the thing: within just two years, or, or yeah, or excuse me, within Griffey's third year, the Seattle Mariners went like this. They went 73 and 89, 77 and 85, 1991, 83 and 79. The first winning season in Seattle Mariners history. Yep. Under uh, manager Jim 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 uh, Uh Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was a disaster. And then, of course, uh, Bill Plummer, I believe is his name. He came in the, the next year, and the Mariners yeah. went 74 and 98. And of course, they fired him. And then 1993 paved the way for the for the second winning season in Seattle Mariners history, but of course they paved the way for Lou Pinella, the greatest coach, sec, er, the greatest coach 
And right now, I will say this greatest current manager for the Mariners is Lloyd McClendon because of what he did last year. But Lou Pinella, okay. Lou Pinella comes in first year, produces a winning season, eighty-two and eight and eighty, and they were actually in fourth place out of seventh in the division. That's uh, how they were placed at that time. And then of uh-huh. course, and then of course, two years later, the Mariners go on that amazing run in nineteen ninety-five. But yeah, refused to refused to lose. We could have we could have a whole you know show about that. I I just I love talking about that so much. Uh, so much. History. Well, we will get. We're, well, we're about to get into that actually. Um, we're we're going to go ahead and take a quick short break, and uh, when we do come back, we are going to talk about the nineteen ninety five refused to lose season, and just talk about what again that was the pinnacle year for Mariners baseball, and so again we will be right back. And we'll take a quick short break.
And we are back here on Mariners Talk Podcast, and me and Matt are talking, uh, of course, the ups and downs for the Seattle Mariners history. And uh, we took a short break because we wanted to get some spots, especially a spot for uh, the 1995 Mariners. We we, we uh, just were talking about it. And, uh, Matt, that, that season, again, like I was saying, was the pinnacle of Seattle Mariners baseball because it's that season – Completely saved baseball in Seattle, and and here's the thing: um, the Mariners they actually started out the season um, filling up the Kingdom actually half full, and you, you figure on opening day, you know, over the fi- over fifty six thousand people they're going to turn out, but only thirty four thousand six hundred and fifty six turned out. The Mariners did win that game three to nothing with Johnson uh, pitching a shutout and. Uh, striking out, I believe, over 10 batters, I believe. I think it was 11. But Yeah, yeah three at shutout. Yeah, but here's the thing. Um, the Mariners took a three out of three out of four from the Detroit Tigers to start out that game. They were starting out really well. Um, in their first eight games, they won six. Or Excuse me, in their first seven games, they won six of those games. They would start out the season seven or six and one, one of the best starts in their franchise history. And they were going at a good pace. And but here's the thing: within um, with uh, with, o- with only within nearly just a month into the season, it was pro- the worst possible thing could have happened to the Seattle Mariners. And let me go ahead and pull this up because uh, it is only just to we have to play this because only for one thing. Um, this was the play that really, and I mean, just scared Mariner fans because it was not only the worst possible thing that could have ever happened to the Mariners, but it, it, uh, let me see if I can find it. It, it, it really put our franchise in jeopardy, Mike, is what it, it did. Yes, yes, it did. You're t- and you know what I am talking about. Ken Griffey Jr. Bro- broke his wrist. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read this out. Um, Trainer Rick Griffin, and here's the thing. I want to give Trainer Rick Griffin some credit because he's been with this team for years. And, you know, he's been with us uh, almost as long as Dave Niehaus was with us. But Rick Griffin, he comes out and uh, he met Griffey as he was walking in from the outfield. And Griffey told him that I broke my wrist. And Griffin's like, how do you know? And Junior, all he said was, quote, just look at it. And all he could ask was, how long am I going to be out for? And so that just tells you that Griffey, it, it's, it, that told you that no matter, even a broken wrist, he still wanted to play. But he knew of how important the Mariners' season was th- right then and there. Yeah, you know, and, and because, it was a hell of a catch, Mike. Oh, God, oh, do not get me wrong. That, that was perhaps one of the greatest catches in Mariners' history. But... Again, but here's the thing: the Mariners, um, they tried to hold their own when Griffey was went down with that injury. Uh, Rich Amaral, a lot of people do not remember, and of course Alex Diaz, they filled in positions. And uh, Rich Amaral, he had a, he actually hit a walk off home run one night. And Alex Diaz, he made some amazing catches out in the field. Yeah, but, what, what happened, which was amazing, Mike, if you don't mind me saying right now, is every, everyone kind of stepped up. Yeah, yes. Once Junior Reed. went down, you had Doc Strange, and, you know, it hit 
that uh, grand slam, and but but everyone stepped up, and and it was it was really remarkable to see a team do that in the face of uh, an injury to their superstars. It was, and and let's and before I actually start getting more into this, but um, let's just go ahead and look at some of the talent that the Mariners had on this '95 ball club. Um, and these are some of the, tra- and it also includes the trades. It included Alex Rodriguez, who was just you know basically starting out his career. Um, Tino Martinez and Edgar, Joey Cora, Mike Blowers, who actually set career highs. Mike Blowers had a career season uh, with the Mariners in 1995. He actually set uh, career marks uh, when he hit 20 home runs and, and drove in 96. Yeah, we had uh, we had Bone, Jay Buhner, mm-hmm. uh, Joey Cora, Luis Soho, Vince Coleman. Exactly, and we and of course we had behind the plate Dan Wilson, and and pitching wise we had um, I'm not going to mention Bobby Ayala. He's never he's never going to get a mention uh, of yeah. a positive note on this show. Um, we, we won, had we 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 did we had a great season in 1995 despite Bobby Ayala. I agree with you. Um, we did get Chris Bosio. Um, we did have Chris Bosio. He was a decent pitcher. We got Andy Bendis through the trade along with Norm Charlton. We had Randy Johnson, of course, who was the Cy Young of that year. Jeff Nelson. And uh-huh. and then of course um, someone who never and and we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit but Bob Wellcock and again like like I will say we will bring him up early uh, or a little later in this uh, conversation because he came through in perhaps one of the biggest games of his career um, but getting back to the Mariners um, losing streaks put this team in jeopardy because. Um, at the All-Star break, the Mariners were 34-35. and 35. But And here's the thing. General manager at the time, Woody Woodward, who I loved to death. I loved to death because Woody actually really helped the Mariners club. He actually did really help out this Mariners club, but it was 96 of where you know things kind of did not go uh, so well for him, and we'll bring that up in uh, later conversations. But the Mariners, um, up until the... Uh, the New York game in which they walked it off, uh, the Mariners just did not really – it showed that this Mariners team was probably going to move. Um, before uh, – the, the game before uh, the New York game, the Mariners came into that game 54 and 55. Now, August 15th, um, saw the return of Ken Griffey Jr., um, but even when he got back, the Mariners only won three games before the New York game. Yeah, and so it was it was it was looking pretty uh, pretty dark. It was it, it it was looking very dark, and but of course you know Ken Griffey Jr. and the Mariners they just they, I was reading that they came together and they said this season is not over. We're not going to end this season like this. We don't want to end the season like this, and you know, and so the following night. Uh, against the New York Yankees, and this is very interesting because I was that was actually the first game I ever went to as a kid, and I was about five, and I was five years old at the time. So the Mariners start off the game. Uh, let me go ahead and look at the. Let's go ahead and look at it. Okay, here we go. Um, the Mariners. Um, uh, Jay Buhner hit a grand slam in the top, in the bottom half of the first inning to put the Mariners up one to nothing, and Andy Benes was actually on the mound that night, and. Through um, through three innings, it was looking good. The Mariners were leading four nothing up until the top of the fourth, where Andy Bennis he gave up four, he gave up 
six runs. Now, granted, here's the thing. This is when um, this is actually the time when pitchers actually went distances. They threw a lot of pitches. Benes, Andy Benes gave us seven innings of work, and he pitched and he threw over 150 freaking pitches. Now, granted, he did walk seven batters, but I believe that Andy Benes actually did keep us in that ballgame a little bit because up until the seventh inning, the Mariners were only trailing five or excuse me seven to five. And in the bottom yeah. half, yeah, and then in the bottom half of the eighth inning, <laughs> sorry, oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, in the bottom half of the eighth inning, um, Edgar Martinez led the inning off with a home run that that cut the deficit to five to four, or seven to five. And then in the bottom half of the ninth, that's when everything changed. Um, with two outs, Vince Coleman walked. Coleman stole second and third. Joey Cora singled to left field. He drives he drives in Coleman. That brings up Ken Griffey Jr. And of course, that set up this moment in Mary's history. And that right there, that moment right there, when Griffey hit that walk-off home run, the 1995 Mariners season officially, officially started. Yes, and then you know the rest is history, sort of. It is, but but we just but we just can't talk about that. But we do have to get more into. But ever ever since that game, you know. They they started winning ball games. They started they started winning ball games in fashions that people were like, "What? This is not the Mariners team that we remember from the past." They started winning games like crazy, it, and they started winning games, Mike, that we should have and that we we were supposed to lose. But exactly, and and here's an interesting one that I will bring up. Um, the Mariners. Um, up until September 12th, they were 65 and 62, so they were three games over 500. But from September 12th up until um, actually, let's go ahead and, and look at this. Up until September 29th, so September 12th, they went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Okay, get this. They they went 13 and two. So they won 13 out of 15 ball games, but the there there was just one game where the Mariners unbelievably won that they perhaps should have lost, and it was the the Mariners they were trailing uh, six to they were tra- they were trailing six to three in the bottom of the sixth and against the Oakland Athletics they came back scored one two one two to beat the A's nine to eight. And Dave Niehaus on the call called it perhaps one of the greatest comebacks in Mariners history. And, again, you know, and after that, it set up a two-game series against the California Angels. And all the Mariners had to do was win both games, and they could even, and they could just walk into the playoffs. All they needed to do was just win one game after that. But, unfortunately, it did not go the way that – the Mariners wanted it to. They lost the they lost the second game. They won ten to two in the first game, but lost the second game. And so now they go into Texas, and they said, "Okay, 
All we got to do, we got to win two games. Angels got to lose two. That's all we got to do. They win the first two games. Angels lose two. So that cuts their, their magic number down to one game. But unfortunately, this season, which is full of dr- drama, it didn't happen. Yeah. It, the Mariners lose two in a row, and then the Angels win two in a row. So that forces the dramatic game, one-game postseason. And 163, yep. Yep, 163. And, and here's the thing. Um, it was, I want to say this, it was during the, the final homestand for the Seattle Mariners that the King, that um, the Mariners stadium issue was being decided by the King County voters. And, mm-hmm. and on September, 19, in, uh, September 18th, King Griffey Jr. actually issued a plea for fans to step up and support the team. And this is what he said. He said, quote, we're not asking for 60000 but 25000 to 30000 That would be great. The last couple games in the Dome, you could have put everybody on, that, on one level and still had room. You hate to see that. Fans have to forget the owners, forget the players. Remember, they've got a major league team in town. This week, they'll decide if they want to keep this team or not. But whether we stay or go, this is the most important, most important part of baseball in Seattle I hope they want to be a part of it, end quote. And election day came on the 19th, and it was looking like um, it was, it was going to end up, the, the Mariners were not going to get their stadium. But here's the thing. Um, let me go ahead and look up. Um, yes, here we go. It was, um, it was after the Seattle Mariners have lo- lost both games. Um, the governor Mike Lowry, at the time of Washington, and I, Mike Lowry to me, I think he's he was the savior of baseball. I really do believe it because he said this. He said, "quote." He said after a two and a half hour meeting, they reached an agreement to fund the new stadium, despite what had become of the no vote on the issue. And he said, "quote." It's in the interest of the quality of life in our state to build a stadium and save the Mariners, end quote. And I love Mike Lowry for that. He personally yeah. saved baseball because he said, I don't give a damn what the voters say. This Mariners team, this is, a, this is a part of Washington. This is a part of Seattle. This team is not going anywhere. Yeah, and he's a kook, too. Yeah, he is. Of course, you got, you got to mention that. And then, of course, so here, here's, here's, what, here's what's going on. The Mariners set up game number 163, uh, so to speak. It wasn't really 163 because it was a shortened season. But here you have Randy Johnson out on the mound, and if he pitches, he's not going to be available until game three of the division series. This, yeah, but Randy Johnson goes out and pitches perhaps the greatest game of his career. Nine innings, three hits, one run, 12 strikeouts. And the only run came in the ninth inning. But um, the funny thing is is that this game featured the man who Randy Johnson was traded for. Yeah, of all people, good old, uh, we were talking about him, Mark Langston. I know, and that is what, that is what just, that is just what it was so funny is that it was it, – it, it, it really did come down to that. And how ironic is it that 
you know, it came down to that. It came down to the fact that, you know, it's Mark Langston, the guy who was traded for Randy Johnson. And up until the bottom of the seventh inning, this game was almost dead even. The Mariners only scored once. It was only one nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. And um, the only run that really did come was Vince Coleman. He singled the left field that scored Joey Cora. But, mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the bottom of the seventh inning, everything changed. And uh, let me see if I can possibly pull it up. Yeah, because- and, and it's, it's interesting, Mike. This is probably, you know, except for, you know, obviously the play we're going to talk about later coming up. But this is probably the pl- the, the second most important play of the 95 season, this uh, this next play you got coming up that you're looking for. Yeah, um, sorry about not this. A lot, yeah, not a lot of fans, uh, you know, remember this one is clearly, but it was pretty remarkable. And it it, it, was, it just, it sort of epitomized this, this play especially, uh, the refuse-to-lose mentality that the Mariners had, had you know, adopted in, at, toward the end of this 95 season. Yeah, and um, I'm not l- seeing it, but um, Luis Soho basically hit a double, but it was I counted it as an inside-the-park grandstand because he hits, a, he hits basically a duck down the right field line, broken bat down the right field line, into the, into the Angels' bull, bullpen, and Blauer scores, Martinez scores, Cora scores, and then Luis Soho, who is, who is not the scores. He is no Soho is not the greatest runner. He comes all the way home and scores. So the Mariners go up now. The, the Mariners go up f- uh, five to nothing. And then in yeah, the bottom man. half of the of the eighth inning, um, Tino Martinez uh, scored Jay Buhner from third, and then uh, Dan Wilson doubled the center, which allowed Blowers and Buhner to score. And then finally, uh, Joey Corey he actually hit into a forced double play. Uh, or excuse me, he actually hit a fly ball to uh, left field. Um, Martinez actually scored, but it was actually a double play. But the Mariners led nine nothing, and so and, and get this: the only run that comes in this ball game it just cracks me up because Tony Phillips led off the top of the ninth with a one-two pitch, hit a home run off Randy Johnson. I mean, Tony Phillips, the one guy that you it's least expected to hit a home run, hits a hits a home run. Yeah, like. Almost sort of like a Bucky Dent a little bit. Yeah, but of course the Mariners they do win that game um, nine to one, and they do go to the 1995 postseason. And and listen to this, Mike. Down that stretch, the Mariners won 25 of their last 36 games. That, that's, that's incredible. That is incredible. That is so. Of course, we go into the. Postseason. I mean, we celebrate, but here's the thing: the next morning we got to go all the way to, you know, um, New York. Yeah, we got to go all the way to New York, and these guys are can barely celebrate. They they can barely drink, so they cannot have a hangover. So this is not a good thing because, hello, these guys are, you know, they're they're basically, you know, there's like, hey, we can't we can't really celebrate this game, but. Yeah, right back to work the next day, or, you know, pretty much the next day. Gotta yeah, and of course, here's the thing. Ken Griffey Jr. in that first game, he showed that he was born to be there, and uh, I'm actually going to play a highlight really quick of his game one performance. Someone had come to me in spring training and said that I've had, I would have three hitters with 100 RBI, one with 96, and none of them would be Ken Griffey Jr. I'd have thought you were crazy. 
couldn't get there because of the injury that kept him out of those 73 games. Rips it deep! Goodbye home run hitting the facade of the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. Griffey had a home run in the fourth inning leading it off. One for three in the ballgame. 4-2, Yankee lead. Runner at first, one down. Deep to right field, way back, he has done it again. Goodbye home run. Ken Griffey Jr. said to his teammates, get on my back and I will carry you. So there you carry Thorin on the call there. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. was born to be that, but unfortunately, and here's the thing, uh, a soon-to-be Seattle Mariner in the coming years, Ruben Sierra actually hit the game-winning home run um, off Jeff Nelson. They won uh, 9-6, to and then, of course, the, the following night became a five-hour torment, five-hour yeah. and minute torment of where the Mariners lost in 15 innings. Uh, Belcher, Tim Belcher, um, a lot of people don't really remember because uh, – but after the game, he did have a serious mental breakdown because he was so upset, so upset about losing that game. He knew that he had to come in and get it done, could not get it done. So here you see, fans are, Mariner fans are going, oh, my God, this just cannot be. We cannot, this, it can't come to this. So, the follow, so two nights later, Mariners are trailing by four. Mariners are down. Or excuse me. Um, this is back in Seattle, of course. We spent two games the, in New York. Yes. Yeah, so the Mariners. Here's the thing. Mariners are down one to nothing in the bottom in the bottom of the fifth. And so, and Randy Johnson is out on the mound. He's out on the mound. He goes actually seven innings. He threw 117 pitches. So again, this was back when the Mariners, or excuse me, when the uh, pitchers actually you know threw. So yeah. Um. Again. Here you go. Tino Martinez hits a home run, that a two-run home run that puts the Mariners up. And, of course, in the bottom half of the sixth inning, Mariners score four runs. And following that, and following that you know, uh, the Mariners would score uh, one more run, and then the Yankees would score three more runs. But the Mariners were able to secure, you know, at least a game four. So they forced that. And so all of a sudden, though, in game four of the American League Division Series, the Mariners were down five to nothing in the top of the third. Edgar Martinez and the Mariners they pulled together. They scored four runs in the bottom of the third inning, and one of those runs came on a three three run shot by uh, Edgar Martinez. And Luis Soho hit hit a sacrifice fly that actually scored Tino Martinez. But then, but then you know the Yankees they just pull ahead after the Mariners you know take uh, a lead. Or excuse me, uh, excuse me. They actually uh, take a a six to a six to five lead. The Yankees tie it in the eighth, and so now what? What's what's going on? The, the Mariners are just you know thinking, oh my gosh, this this can't, this can't be happening again. You know we cannot keep tying. This cannot just keep going on. Of course, this set up again one of the other pinnacle plays in Mariners history.
deficit. They have taken a four-run lead on Edgar Martinez's third career grand slam home run. A fastball down the middle of the plate, and maybe he pickled it. He deep sixes in center field, and the Mariners, an unbelievable come from behind, lead in this ball game, and that is all for Whitlock. Unbelievable swing by Edgar Martinez, and what a ball game for the American League batting champion. His second home run of the game. He now has seven RBIs in this ball game. He had the three-run shot that got the Mariners back in this game when they were down five-nothing. His three-run home run down the left field line made it five-three. And now this home run breaks up the six-six tie, and the Mariners now lead ten to six. Still nobody out here in the bottom of the eighth inning. And Matt, I will say this. I actually just started to cry a little bit because just hearing Dave Niehaus's voice it just brought back those memories. Oh, I, I got I got goosebumps. Uh, yeah, I just got a ton of goosebumps. And, you know, that game right there, it just it, – it was just – I don't know. It was just, it was just a pinnacle play in this division series that just set the tone for – you know, the next night, the following night, in Game 5 of the American League Division Series, and again, the Mariners just come from behind. They First, they take a lead off, um, <laughs> and again, here, the guy that gives us the first lead in this game was um, Joey Cora. He hit, a, he hit a solo shot. and then the, But the Yankees, they go ahead and take a 4-2 to lead in the top of the sixth inning. The Mariners were able to bounce back in the bottom of the eighth. They... Um, Griffey hits a home run that actually, um, let me go ahead and pull that one up. I need to pull that one up because that one is, um, that really got a, this Mariners team started. And here it is, really, here, here it is, the clip. play also set up a that was that got the Mariners started in that game but here's what happened with one out Tino Martinez walks Buner singles to center field Diaz comes up walks and then on a 3-2 pitch and I will I need to find this really quick because this is a huge huge clip and uh let me go ahead and Find it very quickly because this is a critical moment. Yeah, that, and, and that is, I think I just sort of want to mention too, while you're finding it, sort of I, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, the video "My Oh My," uh, the story of the 1995 Seattle Mariners. As a kid growing up, like uh, that that was my absolute favorite video. Me, me and my brother would sit down, and watch it on the TV. We'd put pillows on the floor and run around the bases like we were, uh, you know, Edgar, or like we were. Um, you know, Griffey coming around on on, on the double, and so yeah. uh, it's it's a wonderful movie. It is, and and here's the clip really quick. And 
and right there the game is tied. Randy Johnson comes in to the top of the tenth inning. He, or excuse me, I think it was the uh, top of the ninth inning that he came in. Was it the top of the ninth? Yeah. It was the top yeah, top of the ninth. Or no, it was the top of the tenth. But Johnson actually gives up an RBI single to Randy Velarde. Um and so here you go. The Mariners are are have their backs against the wall. It's but with nobody out, Joey Cora bunts that ball. He gets on first. Griffey comes up. People, here's the thing. I would have loved to see Griffey end that game, but it just it could not set this play up better for Edgar Martinez. the fact that I could not find Dave Niehaus's call. I think I can. Let me go ahead and um, comb through it because... Oh, on the double, it's got to be out there. It's got to be out there. Oh, yeah, and let me go ahead and look because I know it's, it's it just has to be here. There's no um, excuse for not having that. Let, let's go ahead and hear Dave yeah. Niehaus because... And, and, and the other thing, too, Mike, just, just I don't want to go too off on a tangent. Mm-hmm. You look, you know, for Hall of Fame players, you look for special players. I mean, Edgar Martinez in this in this division series, unbelievable, just unbelievable. Without you know his Game Four performance, he wouldn't. He, there wouldn't be a Game Five. There wouldn't be a double. And the value he had to this team, I still think, looking back, he he should have been MVP of '95. There's, you know, I, I think I don't I don't see how he wasn't MVP of that year, but. Just a great player. I, I agree. I, I agree. I don't know what to say. Yeah. I agree. And um, I'm actually searching the Mariners' uh, video results. So just give me one quick sec because I am, I am going to find that video no matter what because this is – this. Yeah, no, no problem. That did not happen. Um, let's see. Uh, that brings it up really quick. And – Yeah. All right, let's and this, let's this this game winning call has Dave Niehaus's call on here. If it plays, uh, it might actually pull up a ad to begin this thing. So, yeah, and I I don't know, I, Mike. I, I've tried watching this without getting goosebumps, and I I can't. I physically cannot. It's just too too special. This call. All right, here, here we go. It's, I believe this is Dave Niehaus's call. I would love a base hit into the camera. The old one pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. One on the line. That will be line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. I hope I. Oh, man, did that give me goosebumps hearing that. Yeah. Another thing people don't realize, like, Dave Niehaus was as much a Mariner as anyone that put on the uniform. He was there in 1977. He called, you know, losing season after losing season. So, that, like, that enthusiasm you hear in his voice there, that is, you know, 110% authentic and genuine. He, he's Agreed. He's as excited as the people down on the field. And to have, have a sportscaster with that type of connection to your team... Boy, boy, it's something special. Agreed. 
And, of course, after that, the Mariners, they got a day off. They uh, saw the Indians come in. We won game one and game two. Uh, game two was – or, excuse me, game three was thanks to Jay Buhner hitting two home runs. But, you know, after that, everything just came, you know, crashing down. The, the, the magnificent run of 95 came to an end. And, you know, it is actually kind of bringing me a little bit uh, – choke. it is kind of choking me up because it's just a shame that the Mariners – amazing run that season just had to come to an end right there but yeah. you know there was not a dry eye in that stadium there was not a dry eye in that in that you know kingdom and you know so the Mariners the following season in 96 they won 85 games um they just fell shy of the wild card but um it was a very it was it was a little bit of a shame that the Mariners did not make the postseason that year but then the following season the Mariners go ahead and make the they go ahead and make a history by winning uh, 90 games that season. And I do want to get into this because um, <clears throat> the Mariners did see their first uh, MVP in Ken Griffey Jr. He hit, you know, all of them they hit, they did amazing. They had um, incredible numbers. They they set a career high, even a major league record of hitting 264 home runs as a team. But, and, but here's the thing, let me, before I actually get into this, let me go ahead and pull up the stats for this team. There was just a problem with this Mariners team. And even though that they won 90 games, I have to say that this Mariner ball club got seriously freaking lucky. Because here's here's the thing. Here's your five starters for that season. You had Jeff Spacero, Randy Johnson, Jamie Moyer, and Bob Wilcock, and, and Omar Oliveira's. And uh, uh, actually, let me hold on just one second. But um, Bob Wilcock, uh, game one of the '95 American League Championship Series. Um, this kid has never pit, never pitched in a in a major league game before. He gets the bases loaded in the first inning. He gets out of that jam. He pitched his heart out in that game. And Bob Wilcock, that was perhaps one of the best pitching performances of his major league career. Getting but getting back to the Mariners' um, pitching staff. Um, Jamie Moyer, Randy Johnson, and Jeff Facero, those were the only starters that the Mariners had that season who had an ERA below 4.0. Now, Johnson, he did have – he had the lowest ERA on the team. But the Mariners' yeah. ERA for that season was a 4.78 ERA. And here's the thing. The games that season uh, with the Mariners um, – they were uh, this Mariners pitching staff. It was very questionable. And going into and here's the thing, Baltimore. I was so disappointed with this because here's the thing: you have an MVP slugger that in that um, you know in that in in this uh, in this division series, and you just get it, it was embarrassing because the fact of the matter is is that. Um, we lose that division series three games to one to the Orioles. I was so pissed off because um, you can you cannot hit 264 home runs and and and, and do this poorly. And looking at the Mariners' stats, King Griffey Jr. batted 133 in that um, division series, two for 15. Edgar Martinez batted 188. Uh, Joey Cora, he batted 176. Jay Buhner, 231. Mike Blowers, 200. 
Um, only guys that actually had more than 10 at-bats, or at least 10 at-bats or more, that had a decent batting average was Alex Rodriguez, who batted 313, Roberto Kelly, who had a 308, and then Paul Serrano, who had a 300. The Mariners batted 218 in the division series and hit only six home runs. And in the yes. and, and in those four games, the first two games they lost nine to three. Yeah, it was uh, ninety seven. That was very much an ugly way to call curtains to the season. Uh, like you said, it wasn't really even. You know, it might it, three games to one. It might as well have been a four game sweep. It just was not not good. No, it was not. And um, but then came the mediocreness. It came it came the mediocre seasons after that because 1998 saw you know they were people said oh this team is gonna you know win, this team is poised to win the World Series but 1998 I think is where everything started going completely downhill for this Seattle Mariners ball club because they lost 80 or they lost 85 games finished 76 and 85. And then, of course, 1999, we saw, of course, uh, Safeco Field. Um, but, you know, um, it, was, it was a sham that, you know, it just had to come to an end like that because, as everybody knows, that was Ken Griffey Jr.'s final season as a Seattle Mariner. But um, I'm going to go ahead and pull a couple clips up here and because we, this, these are some very important home runs that he hit and hopefully I can find them. But um, getting back to the Mariners' 98 and 99 season, it was just a – it was a very – it was just a sham to see this team who was poised and favorites to, you know, win it all just come crashing down like that. Yeah. And – uh it was it was a rocky you know you, you had the highs and then you had you definitely had the definite lows um eighty nine ninety you know pretty much the only you also had uh, some players i think didn't bone leave i think he retired uh I'm trying to remember when Buner left um Buner actually retired after two thousand and two i believe oh, two thousand two yeah but you had you know you had some of our those old 95 stars were getting old. Uh, Moyer and A-Rod were very much sort of the new sort of faces. And then uh, you had, uh, you know, 2000, which was, you know, a pinnacle year for, for the Mariners. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I do want to get this. I do want to um, – we will get into a short break in a little bit because we need to actually um, do get into this before we get uh, back to the Mariners winning ways. But I do want to comment on the Mariners' 1999 season. It actually saw a very interesting game that I actually went to. Um, let me pull this up. It actually saw the Mariners uh, record a franchise record of runs scored in a game. And I believe in uh, – yep, here we go. I'm going to pull up the box score really quick. And it saw Ken Cloud actually win a game. And Ken Cloud was a guy that I didn't – everyone thought was going to do well, but he didn't. But the Mariners won the game – 22 to 6 including a 11 run bottom of the 5th and the Mariners were losing 6 to 1 in that game 
<laughs> oh man! They and get twenty-one uh, unanswered runs. Uh, no, 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 and it, it was not that. Yeah, twenty-one unanswered runs. And but get this: the Mariners score eleven in the bottom of the fifth. Then in the sixteenth, they score six more runs. Wow. Yeah, and and Ken Griffey Jr. He went uh, two for three in that game with six RBIs, two home runs. So that was also very fun to see. But of course, then the Mariners um, really just started going downhill after that because after that game they were ten and twelve, but they just did not see. They they did see their longest winning streak um, of that season go six games where they actually were able to get back to five hundred. But and they were able to get above 500 for a little bit, but then after that, it just started going completely downhill. But in the final game of the kingdom, um, this is what happened. Ken Griffey Jr. made fans cheer, and I actually did attend the final game of the season at the kingdom, but this was the um, Griffey's final curtain call at the kingdom. But in the major league game, that was special. Here's the pitch on the winning. Junior swinging a drive deep to right field down the line. There he goes. Goodbye, baseball. He did it. So King Griffey Jr. did hit the, um, his final home run at the Kingdom, and the Mariners did win that game. And here's Dave Niehaus's call on the win. Wilson, the native of suburban Chicago. Mesa, a native of the Dominican Republic. The closing battery here at the Kingdom trying to end it. Now the stretch. The 2-2 pitch on the way to Rusty Greer from Jose Mesa. Swing and a fly ball hit into left center field and moving over. Is Hunter on the run. He's got it. And an era is over. The Mariners win it in unbelievable fashion. 5-2. to two. My, oh, my. This place exploding. 56,530 with flash balls going off. You would think the Mariners had just So there was Dave Niehaus' final call of the Mariners in the kingdom. And, of course, the Mariners did go on to lose that season, 79-83. And, of course, the next season they did, they lost Randy. Of course, they had no Randy Johnson after the 98 season, and they had no Griffey after the 99 season. So, but Yeah. Uh, One one quick note about the kingdom. Uh, You know, one of my biggest regrets, I I was but a wee lad. I know you were. You already probably had hair on your face, Mike, but uh, I never got to attend a, a game at uh, at the Kingdom. But but it, it you know it it it'll always have a special place in Mariners history as it, as you know the the place where the double occurred and you know despite its gloomy you know gray walls it it it, it, it at times was a magical place. It was. And, uh, again, we do have to take a quick short break. And when we come back, we will get into uh, the rest of the Mariners' seasons, including including the Mariners' return to uh, power in the American League. Um, so we will take a quick short break, and we'll be right back.
And we are back here on Marriage Talk. We are actually uh, getting into a, actually the two-hour point in our show. Wow, it's a, been a while since we actually did a uh, show. Time flies when you're having fun, Mike. Yeah, it did. Um, so we are getting into the 2000 season for the Seattle Mariners. Basically, this is where the Mariners actually had um, – this would be the season where the Mariners returned to power, like in the AOS. But it did see the end of an era where Ken Griffey Jr. was not a part of the Mariners. But – it made way for highlights like this. 57, the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a fly ball into the deep center field. Cameron going back to the track, to the wall, makes the leap, and makes the catch. Oh, no, no. I And of course, Ron Fairley was on the call. Um, I, I, I will say this: like Dave Niehaus deserved that call, but I, I will say this: um, out of all the announcers that have been with the Seattle Mariners over the years, Ron Fairley is really my most hated. I, I never liked Ron Fairley because I, I just thought that he did not have really the enthusiasm to even be a play-by-play announcer, and he did not even have the voice. His voice is so. His voice to me was like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, th- th- thankfully I, I I was but a wee lad, so I don't remember Ron Fairley making calls. But uh, he didn't even stay with the team that long, did he? I don't think. Uh, he stayed with the Mariners, I believe, up until 2003. But yeah, 2000 uh, saw that Mike Cameron come into the team, and the Mariners they actually endu- um, actually got into the postseason thanks to the wild card. And it also saw the Mariners um, um, saw Ricky Henderson become a Mariner. And I really love the fact that Ricky Henderson was a part of the Mariners uh, through his uh, historic career because here's the thing, in just 92 games, uh, in only 92 games, Henderson stole 32 ba- 31 bases. And, and, and this, was not, this was not a young Ricky Henderson either, Mike. This, this was, was a 41-year-old Ricky Henderson. I, exactly. And so, but again, the Mariners, they were able to get into the postseason, uh, thanks to the wild card, they sweep, they swept the um, the Chicago Cubs, or excuse me, not the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, and let me go ahead and pull up that clip, because again, it had, um, it did have uh, Niehaus on the call, I believe, and uh and, uh, yep, here we go. Here's the uh, clip of Carlos Guillen's uh, walk-off bunt. And uh, it's actually, it was accidentally muted, but, uh, uh, yep, here we go. Okay, never mind. That wasn't Niehaus. That was Berman, and he ruined everything. <laughs> He ruins everything. I I can't stand Chris Berman. I never liked him, even in the home run derby. Really? I I I don't know. I just like I like him in the home run derby. I like him because he gets excited. But I can but, also easily see why people get sick of him. Yeah, but after the sweep, the Mariners couldn't. The Mariners only had one celebration left in them, and it was a two a, a four nothing victory over the New York 
or excuse me, a two to nothing win over the Yankees in game one of the American League Championship Series. But after that, the Mariners lost three games in a row, um, were able to get a game five in New York, and they won. That was fi- they won the final game in Seattle. But after that, the Mariners, and here's the thing, the Mariners in game six, and I will pull this up really quick, the Mariners were up. Um, the Mariners were up four to three in the bottom of the seventh inning, and let me go ahead and see who was pitching in that in the bottom at the bottom of the seventh inning. Okay, it was Jose Paniagua, and perhaps the worst thing ever happened to the Mariners. David Justice hit a three-run shot, and it put a dagger in the Mariners' hearts, the Mariners' fans, everything. And in the bottom of the and in the bottom of the in the top of the seventh, the Mariners actually scored two runs, so it, it cut the lead to nine to seven. But that was it. The Mariners could not get anything. They could not get any magic going. Um, and the Mariners lost the game nine to seven. They're out of the postseason, and that's it. And it was just it, it, it was just a tough way to lose that season because, especially if the Mariners would not have lost those three games. I mean, just imagine, it would have been a Game 7 back in Seattle. Yeah, and, um, you know, it it was a disappointing way to end the season, of course, but, uh, you know, people wouldn't, it wouldn't sting for long, Mike, you know, with uh, with 2001 coming up. Well, I I was about to get on to that, but... 2001 saw the the most historic season in Mariners history, but to me, I think it was. You can say that it, that the the 2001 Mariners were the greatest team to ever play baseball, one of the greatest teams to ever play baseball. But I think, um, really, they were one of the worst. And but but here's the thing: I will say this: I say that they they were the worst because of how they ended their season. But I do need to talk about the positives. Um, one, they won. A, they tied a record of 116 games. That's the only positive. But here's the thing: the Mariners lost a game to the Cleveland Indians, where in the bottom of the seventh inning, they were up 14 to three. Oh no, Mike! I, I was hoping you wouldn't bring this up, but I'm sorry, but the, about it. I I just couldn't imagine how a team as good as the Mariners with their pitching um, could melt down like that. But um, you know the Mariners. They they only lost three games once. Their longest losing streak was four games, and um, in the final game they had a chance to get the record. They lost three to four to the uh, Rangers, and I think, but I think that the Mariners, when it came to the postseason, they ran out of gas because um. The Mariners had to go to five games against the Cleveland Indians, who were the wild card team. And you think about this. You know, you got two days of rest. You had, after the last game, you had the rest of that day to rest. You had the day before, the day after that to rest. But you go to five games against the Cleveland Indians where you should have swept them, and you just barely get out of get rid of the Indians going into five games. That was just sad. It, it was one of the most – it was just so disappointing to see the 2001 Mariners who had 
so much cal- so much great hitting and, and good pitching, you know, almost get kicked out of the postseason like this. Yeah, it, 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 you know, for being one of the best teams in baseball in 2001, Mike, we certainly didn't look like it. Uh, you know, being one of the best teams in, in Major League history, it was very much we went out whimpering. I think was th- was this the year where we had the th- we, we the three pitch game that ended. The what? Uh, I, I think I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if it was 2001, but there was one series against the Indians where uh, we had a three pitch ninth inning, and every batter swung at the first pitch, and every batter was was out. Yes, that was actually the season. But yeah, yeah. here's here's the thing: the Mariners they go into Cleveland um, in Game Three. You know, we're tied. We tied the series one game to one, one to one. But the Indians just flat out smashed the crap out of us, seventeen to two. And so we got our backs against the wall. But the Mariners do pull out a six to two win in Cleveland, force a Game Five at Safeco, win three to one. But then after that, they only win one more game, and it was. And I don't know if it was the effects of of September 11th that uh, really pushed them, but the New York Yankees overpowered us. I don't know why, but we only won one game, 14-3. to But it was in game four, really, that I believe really destroyed this Mariners' confidence and their and uh, really their entire season because here's the thing. The Mariners and the Yankees, they were tied 1-1 to in the bottom of the ninth, Kazuhiro Sasaki is in there to save the game, and he's able to get the first out. He gives up a single to Scott Brocious, and on the second pitch of Alfonso Soriano's at bat, he hits a two-run shot to walk the game off, and the following day the Mariners lose uh, 12-3, and that was it. And our and the the greatest season in Mariners history and possibly baseball history comes to an end with the Mariners losing, being defeated, and coming up with no World Series championship title. Yeah, and, you know, that 19... I I believe that 1906 um, Cubs team, with whom the Mariners share the record, I I think that they won the series. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe they did not. Let me go ahead and look it up really quick. I'll check real quick. Yeah, I got... Um, um, they... Oh, they did not. I'm sorry. They yep. won it in 07 and 08. Yep. They did not yeah. win the World Series. Yeah. But, but, um... You know, that, Mike... Go ahead. That's, that's probably been the high point of this franchise to this point, in the, the, the last high point of this franchise. You know, we got yes. close last year, but... Yes, but and and I'm and I'm going to go through this. Of course, um, the Mariners did see back to back 93 win seasons, but they just came up close. And 2003 saw us um, really collapse. We finished second in the division, but we had a chance to really take control of that, you know, that that division and even the wild card. But thanks to um, the Oakland Athletics 20 game win streak, and I could not believe they actually pulled that off, but. The Mariners could not, you know, find a way to get into the postseason. And after that, it was mediocrity. It was it was complete mediocrity. The Mariners only won uh, two winning seasons following this year, and saw Mike Hardgrove, Bob Melvin, McLaren, Riggleman, Wakamatsu, Darren Brown, and Eric Wedge as their managers. 
and yeah. It, yeah. it just saw a bunch of mediocrity, especially. But I don't get the fact that uh, Mike Hardgrove, he actually was leading the Mariners in 2007 to basically a winning season. It was at the end of the first half. We had a 45 and 33 record, and then Jim McLaren comes in, or John McLaren, and he this team just collapsed. I tell you, yeah. this, if, if if Hardgrove would have stuck around, we would have made the playoffs that year. We would have. I, I think we would have made it. Yeah, and and Mike, it's interesting what you say. Um, obviously, there's only two manage, uh, managers in Mariners history that have a a winning record right now, and that'd be uh, Lou Piniella, of course, going to be a Hall of Famer and uh, Mariners legend, and uh, Lloyd McClendon right now. So. I really, I really do feel like Lloyd's the best manager we've had since Pinella. I know it's no. easy to say that because he's, you know, next in line, but there's just something different about him. There is, there is, and you know, um, the year that Ken Griffey Jr. did come back to Seattle um, in 2009, the Mariners came close also to the um, to the wild card in that. Uh, let me go ahead and look at the Mariners' uh, 2009 season because um, they really did have a great chance, I mean a really good chance at getting into the postseason and let me see if I can find it um, yeah that's right, in 09 under Wakamatsu and then and then uh, 10 is where it fell apart yep, 2010 is really where everything fell apart, Griffey yeah. oh, 09 a- was a very happy season very happy yes, so Ever since his Mariners team in in 2014, last season, you know they brought so many good. They brought a lot of talent into this ball club. They've seen just only a couple guys leave, but this upcoming 2015 season for the Mariners is really a. Uh, it's 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 just an exciting moment because people are thinking, hey, guess what? We're a 10 to 1 favorite to win the World Series. We can do this. We can win it all this year, and especially with the guys that we have right now, especially with Nelson Cruz joining us. Yeah, Nelson Cruz, and uh, if you want, we could talk about the Mariners' offseason for a time. Do you want to do that? I got some notes on that. Uh, yeah, you, you can go ahead and talk about that. We, uh, we, we're we going to be on here for a little over 20 more minutes, so you got a little bit of time. You can go ahead and yeah. take uh, take the mic for a little bit. Yeah, th- thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. I, I really do think uh, this was probably one of the best offseasons, you know, ever since I've been a fan, so since, you know, really followed it closely since, like, 2008. It was really a great offseason, Mike, because I think we I think we filled every need we had. You know, every year in the years past, we'd always been saying, "Oh, we we need this big hitter, we need we need to fill this hole, we need you know a fourth fifth starter." And this year, we really we really filled all those uh, all the needs we had. We, you know, we got Cruz on the on the big uh, fifty-seven million dollar contract. I'm really I don't know I, I'm sure you're as excited as me to watch him next year. Safe go. Um, yeah, I am. I'm really excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, right field, which was an issue. There was the whole Melky Cabrera, uh, da- Daniel Viciato, who we did not pull the trigger on him, which uh, I was terrified we might do at uh, a few points this this offseason. Um, but, you know, it could be a lot worse than Reggiano and Seth Smith. I think that offers a decent, you know, decent upside. Uh Seth Smith's a player I've always really liked. I've followed him since he was in Colorado. And uh, the, the good thing about Seth Smith is he's a pinch hitter. And pinch hitters, you know, they know how to hit because that's the only thing that's, you know, keeping them with a the job. Uh, so Smith, you know, he sees a good fastball, he'll turn it loose. 
Um, you know, as much as disappointing it is to see Michael Saunders' tenure with the club come to an end, uh, you know, there was sort of that, you know, comments were made and feelings, people were irked at, uh, you know, the very end of, of the 2014 season. Uh, we did get J.A. Happ, who is not an ace by any standards, but he is, you know, a, a good four or five, you know, man in the rotation, with, you know, in a good pitcher-friendly ballpark. So you can hope for uh, him to put together a good season. And then, uh, of course, the big the big thing this year was not anyone we acquired or anyone we traded for or signed. It was extending Kyle Seeger uh, with that nice $100 million extension that will keep him in Mariner, Mariner white, blue, and teal for uh, a long time going into the future. And I, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that as well, because you know this this team is just it's gotten into it's gotten a euphoria and an excitement around with these fans that has not been felt in years. And it, even in 2009, I don't even, I don't even think Mariner fans really felt that we were going to go to the postseason. But no, was, they, they didn't buy in. It, it was it was very much just sort of a it, it was a fluffy season. And I know it's a strange word, but it it was. It really didn't mean anything. It just sort of made you feel good. It did, but I I will say this: um, we are going to be wrapping up the show here now. Um, but to close out, um, what I want for this upcoming season, I want fans to turn out because I was very very disappointed with how the way the fans turned out last season. Because there were so many games where you know at least forty thousand plus should have been there, and they weren't. And especially, you know, the fireworks night that turned out maybe a little over what thirty little little over thirty six thousand people. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you figured you know over hey fireworks night oh man this place is going to be packed or you know yeah. Felix Hernandez or Felix Hernandez you know night that's going to be packed. But now, now, Mike, if you don't mind me commenting real quick, uh, a lot of this I think is an unfortunate side effect of you know I I love the Hawks as much as anyone, but of sort of the Seahawks fever. People, people aren't realizing, you know, the the you know the benefit and how special it is to go to a ballpark. You know, there's there's very much. I've even heard Seahawks chants break out at Mariners games sometimes, which you know I love no. the spirit, but uh, I just don't think it's appropriate in that situation. No, I, I I agree completely, and and I again I love the Seahawks, but I do blame them a little bit for the Mariners fans not coming out. But when I when fans do come out, even I see them wearing you know Sanders gear or Seahawks gear. L- listen, here's my take on that. When you go to a Seahawks game, you wear Seahawks gear. You don't wear anything else. When you go to a Sounders game, you wear Sounders gear. Now I will say this: I wore a Mariners hat to a Sounders game. That was my mistake. I am never going to do that again. You are you are forgiven by the Seattle sports public, Mike. <laughs> but I will admit that I did do that one time. But when you go to a Mariners game. I don't care if you – even when the Seahawks came out and threw the first pitch, look, that was the only game, in my opinion, where I think was appropriate to where you could wear Seahawks gear because the Seahawks were there. But for the rest of the season, no. Wear Mariners gear. It's a, it's a friggin' Mariners game. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a damn Seahawks game. It's not a damn Sounders game. It's a Mariners game. It's a baseball game. And, and I really think – the, you know, besides getting to the playoffs, I really think the most important thing that could happen in this 2015 season is restoring sort of the legitimacy and importance of baseball in the lives of Seattle sports fans. 
so many yeah. years, over so many years, people have have tolerated the Mariners instead of you know enjoying them and uh, you know being really following them closely. People have just you know jumped on the wagon when they started winning, which I think was evident this year a lot. Uh, and then they'll hop off you know as soon as things start to go bad. So I, I'm really hoping this year for you know Mariners fans to you know last take lasso around the Mariners and hang on. Yes, I agree with you. Um, I want to play two clips for you really quick. And um, it's um, and the first clip, really, in my opinion, uh, let me uh, let me see if I can find that clip, because I know I can find it somewhere here. Um, let's see. Here we go. This right here, in my opinion, I think, whoops, um, it's uh, it's got an ad right now, so it'll be done in a bit. So, um, let's just get done. So, uh, but this first this first highlight right here, I think, was the real pinnacle moment for the for the upcoming Mariners because it was. Uh, let me see. Is this? Uh, nope, that wasn't the highlight. But um, so let me go ahead and go to the Seattle Mariners site, so that way I can pull it up. And we are about, and we are very close to closing out this. Um, this Mariners Talk podcast, but um, actually, I'll only play uh, one clip because we do need to get started. And I'll give you a call uh, right after the show, Matt, because I do need to thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, and, and thank and thank you again for uh, you know still letting me tag along, even though uh, it's uh, a bit late, Mike. I appreciate it. It was a great time, and I, I hope to be on in future. Yes, and here's the and this this moment right here. Um, I think was the it was just like Ken Griffey Jr.'s home run. This moment right here was not only the start to the Mariners' 2014 season, but it was also the start for Seager's season. And that right there is where our season began. And here's the thing. I'm not going to be um, too I'll, – I'll be comfortable a little bit with Dave Sims this year. I mean, he's not that bad. I've come to admit that bad. I think he's a very nice man. I, I met him on an elevator at Safeco once. He cares about the fans. He really he really enjoys his job. Sometimes I just think he's, he just doesn't know what he's saying. Agreed. I, I do. But I am looking forward to some of Jay Buner, some of Jay, some of the Bones Jay Bunerisms. Oh, I, I love the Bunerisms, Mike. Those are those are great. When you get Jay behind the mic, oh boy, I'm glad they included him more last year. I mean, here's the thing: um, we are about to close up, but Jay Buner just says some things that just makes you think: is, is he drunk or something when he says this type of? Has he has he had an IPA or something before they gave him the mic? Yeah. <laughs> Sort of yeah, that infectious energy, though I, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. So um, again, we are closing out the uh, this edition of Mariners Talk podcast. We will be back hopefully next Sunday at the same time. So for me and Matt, so long and go Mariners. Yeah, go Mariners.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.